Rachel. This is Deconstructing Disney. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Welcome. We are so glad to have you joining us today. And it's a very special episode because we are talking about not one, but two Disney films. And what films are those, Aaron? That would be Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros. You had more Spanish lessons than I do, so I think your accent (laughs) is much better than mine. Thanks. I try a little bit, but like it's not going to be great, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I took French, so I'm just totally off. Yeah, I did take Spanish for a very long time in school. (laughs) So these films are unique in several ways that we'll discuss, and they're different than most of the films we've talked about up to this point. I would say that maybe the one they're most similar to is Fantasia, simply in the fact that they are what you might call anthology pieces more so than the other films we've talked about that have had a overarching narrative that spanned the entire length of the film. I mean, Three Caballeros has a very clear and interesting narrative. Oh, I yeah. would say. <laughs> An interesting narrative indeed. Mm-hmm. Yes. So- it's just so engaging. <laughs> You really come to care deeply about the characters, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just to give the broadest of context to these before we dive into a synopsis, Erin will talk a lot more about the history, but I actually have a quote from Teleti right off the bat, uh, writing in 2007, who states that, Both Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros were intended as a goodwill effort as part of a larger political strategy set out by the Office of Inter-American Affairs to build a cultural bulwark against Axis intrusions. Mm -hmm. So these films were released in... 1942 and 1944, respectively. Each one was released in Latin America before it was released in the U.S. So Saludos Amigos is 42, then 43 in the U.S., and then Three Caballeros is 44, and then 45 in the U.S. Got it. And so obviously these were released against the backdrop of World War II, and they were made for a pretty specific political, cultural purpose. But before Aaron gets into that more, we'll just give you a sense of what happens in these movies uh, so that you don't have to watch them yourself. So Saludos Amigos, the overarching narrative premise, is a documentation, and I actually have another quote here from Adams, quote, In live footage, a two-month tour of Latin American countries by some 20 Disney artists, cinematographers, and technicians, primarily visiting Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. And Peru. And Peru. Okay. And Peru. And Peru. (laughs) Adams didn't mention Peru, but you're absolutely right. (laughs) I mentioned that it's an anthology, and so the first segment in Saludos Amigos uh, features Donald Duck, as a tourist, and Donald Duck will be present in both of these films. He visits Lake Titicaca. He meets some locals, and he has some humorous interactions with llamas. And the next segment we see is an animated sequence featuring Pedro, a small anthropomorphic airplane who goes on a journey to retrieve airmail from Mendoza, Argentina, 
and then back again to his home airport in Santiago, Chile. And on Pedro's journey, he encounters a perilous storm around Anconcagua, the highest mountain uh, in the Americas, a mountain in the Andes. The next segment introduces us to a new version of Goofy, Gaucho Goofy, who's compared in the film to a cowboy on the American frontier. So he's presented as the Latin American version of that. Which just is a theme, both films of like contextualizing Latin American culture and activities through an American lens to make it more accessible. Right. Put that out there. Keep your eyes and ears open, people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they liken the Argentinian Pampas to the frontier of the Wild West. And we see uh, Goofy sort of living the life of a gaucho. Not very well. Not very well. (laughs) Uh, In true Goofy fashion. Mm Mm-hmm. The last sequence in Saludos Amigos is called The Watercolor of Brazil. It's in this segment that we're introduced to a new character that we're going to talk about in more detail a little later on. But we meet Brazilian native Jose Carioca, who is a green parrot. Donald comes back in and actually goes on a tour of Brazil with Jose. Jose introduces Donald to Cachaça and teaches Donald how to dance the samba. It's a really pretty segment. Like, it looped me back in after having <laughs> lost me a little bit of, like, I don't know. It's just the watercolor is very well done in it the is. Brazilian segment. It's very, very pretty. Another important thing that I wanted to mention about Saludos Amigos is actually by way of a quote from Adams again. Throughout Saludos Amigos, kind of scattered throughout these segments, but especially in that final one, uh, we see multiple uh, live action documentary sequences that, quote, revealed to many Americans for the first time the modernity and architectural wonders of the large Latin American cities with skyscrapers, automobiles, and surprisingly clean and bustling city streets (laughs) with fashionably Western-dressed men and women, end quote. So we'll talk about this again a little bit later, but... Saludos Amigos has some images that were not typical representations of Latin America in Hollywood films at this time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Most of the portrayals were pretty stereotypical and negative. And often it was people speaking English, no matter what country they were (laughs) supposed to be in or what accent they were supposed to have while speaking English. So it was a concerted effort to try and shine a more positive light on Latin America which was all a part of this good neighbor policy, which we're going to talk about for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So next, we'll give you a synopsis of The Three Caballeros. Is it possible? Can Rachel do it? (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) So I do have a leg up because I mentioned this to Aaron. I have seen this movie Many, many times. <laughs> and as I was rewatching it, I was frightened by how well I remembered so much of it. And I asked my parents about it, actually. And I was like, so 
I don't ever remember seeing Saludos Amigos, but I remember Three Caballeros. And they were like, oh, yeah, that was Brian's favorite. Uh. My brother's favorite movie. And goodness knows why, because as we'll talk about, it's super weird. (laughs) But I had seen this many, many times. So the overarching premise is that it's Donald Duck's birthday, which is Friday the 13th, which I, is. I found very amusing. I meant to look up if Friday the 13th has always been like a bad luck day. And if I assume that's part of the gag, but yeah. then I didn't actually verify if it is. We're like, of course, Donald Duck, who everything always goes wrong for, usually by his own <laughs> hand, if that's like why he's given that birthday. I'm sure it is. I mean, that makes sense. It just feels very fitting for right. his character. <laughs> So he receives a shipment of birthday presents from his friends in Latin America because he had just been to visit in Saludos Amigos. So each present in the shipment is then leads into another segment or two. And so that's sort of the the like frame within all of these segments are placed, but it goes off the rails pretty much from there. (laughs) So the first present that Donald opens is a movie projector and film reel. And that has two cartoon shorts. It has one about Pablo, the penguin who lives in the South pole, but longs to be warm. So he sails in his bathtub up to Ecuador. (laughs) Cool. And then the second cartoon is about a gauchito or little cowboy who captures and trains a donkey with wings in order to win a race at the Festival of Gauchos. (laughs) The second present that Donald opens yields our friend from Saludos Amigos, Jose Carioca. Jose springs forth from the present along with a pop-up book of Brazil, and that allows both Donald and Jose to travel to Brazil again, specifically to the northeastern Brazilian state of Bahia, which is depicted very romantically with Mm -hmm. song and dance and While they're in Bahia, we see the first hybrid sequence in the film. Hybrid meaning that it's both animation and live action together. And if Mm -hmm. you're a Disney fan, you're probably familiar with this from things like Mary Poppins. In this hybrid sequence in Three Caballeros, Donald is entranced by a local woman played by Brazilian singer Aurora Miranda who is singing and dancing as she sells traditional Brazilian custards. And they sing a song, Os Quindin de Yaya. So this is a song that was written by a Brazilian artist and then used in the film. But interestingly, Yaya, just as a side note, is a term of endearment that was originally used among Brazil's black slaves to refer Mm -hmm. to young girls in the big house. Just some interesting layers there. They will come up again. <laughs> they will come up again. So we're almost there. We've we've made it through so many journeys, so so much <laughs> so far. The third and final present that Donald opens introduces a new character, the third of the three caballeros. This is Panchito, the Mexican rooster. Panchito Pistoles. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which is just so much. (laughs) And Pistoles, he comes out 
guns literally a blazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so true to his name, I guess. This is really where it felt like the plot just devolved uh-huh. like really <laughs> rapidly. So Panchito narrates a series of images about Mexican Christmas traditions. Okay, mm-hmm. but that's like kind of brief. And then the three caballeros hop on a magic serape and they fly around various Mexican cities most notably stopping on a beach in Acapulco to chase around women in bathing suits. Mm -hmm. So that's super fun. And then there's a weird sequence of Mexican stars performing. We see Dora Luz singing Mm -hmm. You Belong to My Heart, which I remembered all the words to. Oh, my gosh. It was like, oh, my gosh, that has been in my brain this whole time. Wow. And it's sort of her singing is happening amidst this bizarre animation. She's like this disembodied head that's in a flower and then a star and Donald's like floating around. There's a random just kind of mishmash of things happening, sound (laughs) and music and images. And it gets very psychedelic and strange and there's weird disruptions from Jose and Panchito as they like come in singing the three caballeros in a really annoying voice and like shooting guns and then like the love song resumes (laughs) it's very bizarre and it just totally devolves in the end until a giant paper mache bull is for some reason chasing Donald around and suddenly it's over Mm-hmm. With fireworks in the sky, and each one in the shape of um, one of the flags of the countries we visited. Right. Obviously, ending with the U.S. flag. Yes, the most Obviously. important one. Obviously. <laughs> uh, so, it was weird. Yeah, to say the least. It was very weird. And, like, so you mentioned that obviously you have seen this a lot and <laughs> clearly like more than you even necessarily remembered because you were like, I don't know why I know this movie so well. I blocked it out. I think I right, blocked yeah. it out. <laughs> but I've never seen either of these films before. Uh, it was actually while watching Three Caballeros that I was like, oh, these are the scenes from the Mexico ride in Epcot. Yes. And like I knew that obviously I knew that was coming and I knew that's where that the Mexico ride comes from is this film but I think in like trying to to take in as much as possible <laughs> because I had not seen either film before and I don't think any of Saludos Amigos is featured in the ride I, don't I had kind so. of forgotten as I reached the second film and then I was like oh I've seen that before like cool something to latch on to <laughs> that like has some meaning but yeah it was all over the place it was kind of nice to watch something I've never seen before because you know, right. I've had some experience with all of these, although my memory is minimal. So it was definitely fresh for me. <laughs> uh-huh. But you did text me immediately after watching The Three Caballeros <laughs> to tell me, so this is the worst one we've watched yet, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great from like any sense of storytelling, in my opinion. It has its it's positives and I think those come from more of its like space in history and politics while also having a lot of negative reasons 
for like existing <laughs> for those very same things. But yeah, like as a, a thing to sit down and watch for entertainment. I didn't get any of that, mostly because of the like extreme sexual overtones yes. for at least the second two thirds of the film. Yes. And you mentioned the psychedelic nature. It, yeah. it kind of took me back to Pink Elephants from Dumbo. Yeah. And I was like, this is just unpleasant. There is nothing enjoyable about watching this. Like, I feel uncomfortable. I want it to stop as soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, we've had these scenes in a number of Disney films so far. So it was actually like a thing, I guess. Like it was yeah. maybe expected. People maybe liked it. And it's just so removed from our experience now, as far as I can tell. Like maybe there are some like I would think of song montages in more modern films mm. that take some inspiration from this. Like things from like mm -hmm. Emperor's New Groove are popping up in my head mm. or like um, zero to hero when like the muses are reduced to like silhouettes and moving around but sure. like I can see the little bit of influence but mm -hmm. overall like those had like purpose right <laughs> like a direction <laughs> <laughs> this not so much mm -mm. though it did have a very specific political purpose yes. you want to tell us more about the background and history Sure. Yeah. I spent a lot of time trying to contextualize these films because I think it's worth saying now that Rachel and I approached these films knowing that they were not huge deals for us as like part of our Disney knowledge. They aren't as mainstream. People don't talk about them in the way that they talk about many of the films that we've already watched. Mm -hmm. So we were discussing like how to approach them and what it means and are they worth analyzing and talking about and I think it's more about these moments of cultural significance and politics that make them worthwhile also we recognize that we are like two white ladies who grew up <laughs> in the U.S. and very different films might be marketed to us than are marketed in Latin America and other people especially people of Latin American descent or who were even alive at the time and saw the films in Latin America these films might mean more to them. And that's something that we should discuss because it's not just our view of Disney that we want to learn about. We want to see that larger perspective. Yeah. And I wanted to learn about them. So that was part of doing this podcast is us learning more about this thing that we love, but also having fun. And I think that <laughs> these films fit in that crossroads in a way that made it definitely worthwhile for us to look into, even if it was a wild viewing experience wild ride yeah really well put and it was worthwhile especially because I had these muddled memories of three caballeros it is really worthwhile to revisit it now and learn more about its background yeah so on that note let's learn a little bit more and maybe more than even our listeners know <laughs> More than usual, I would expect. Saludos Amigos is the first of six package films that were made by Disney in the 1940s. As we mentioned earlier, it premiered earlier in Latin America than in the U.S. It premiered in Rio de Janeiro on August 24th, 1942, and then in the U.S. on February 6th, 1943. 
It's 42 minutes long, so that was a nice short watch. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to the hour and 11 minute long Three Caballeros. <laughs> three Caballeros. Yeah, I kind of maybe wish they were the other way around, yep. but they could never be. That's like part of the point and why I think at least if I had to pick to watch one again, I'd watch Saludos Amigos <laughs> for many reasons, including how short it is. And Aaron, <laughs> what is a package film? They are these films that were partially commissioned by the U.S. government uh, where they were providing government loans for Disney to make a number of films, the beginning of which was starting with the Goodwill Tour in Latin America, which produced these two films. Disney was also making military films at the time. He would make additional shorts. So it's all of the feature films that were in this period other than Song of the South. Mm-hmm. Those of the six of them are called like the package films that use this government money. Mm-hmm. So then we have Three Caballeros, which they were able to make because Sudos Amigos did well enough that it, you know, it did make a profit in Latin America um, and kind of broke even in the U.S. So two years later, they were able to take remaining footage and then make these new pieces of animation with the Three Caballeros themselves to put together this new film, Mm -hmm. which premiered in Mexico City on December 21st, 1944, and was released in the United States on February 3rd, 1945. Okay. So, good things to know, but we gotta back up way before release date (laughs) to understand what these films are doing and why they exist. Yeah. So... Back in 1941, before (laughs) the start of World War II, the U.S. Department of State commissioned a Disney goodwill tour of South America as part of the Good Neighbor Policy, which was created by FDR in 1933. FDR wanted to promote a more positive relationship with Latin America to benefit both sides in domestic affairs. The policy's basic ideas were non-intervention, and non-interference in Latin America's domestic affairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was meant to increase reciprocal trade agreements and increase the U.S. government's influence in Latin America, Mm -hmm. which was really the biggest thing is, you know, if we have a kinder interaction with you, maybe you will listen to our government (laughs) more, particularly because there were dictators in several countries Mm -hmm. in South America, which will become more important as we move towards World War II and see the rhetoric coming out of Germany in particular and the Nazis. So the Goodwill Tour was then like organized because of the increasing ties between Latin America and Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. wanted to gain their support, obviously, for the Allied forces. And they, were, they needed a new way to like connect with Latin America And so because Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck were super popular in Latin America, Mm. they turned towards Disney as an influential ambassador that they could use. Mm -hmm. Disney was not very excited about this opportunity at first. (laughs) He says he's not like a hand shaker. He didn't want to be this, like, I think partially a puppet of the government, but also like kind of introverted in a way potentially and he Mm. just didn't want to be this person who gets sent out and has to shake hands and do all of this stuff but then they agreed that he could use it as a research mission for future movies Mm. and the films that he made and the trip itself would be subsidized by the u.s government 
Mm. So Disney was like, okay, <laughs> free money. The fi- their finances were in a lot of trouble due yep. to obviously World War II, as we talked about in past podcast episodes, and then the animator strike, which was still going on, remember, when the Goodwill tour began. Mm. It was resolved, the strike was resolved by those involved, but Roy Disney leading the way for the Disney side of things while Walt and all of these animators were in Latin America. Oh, wow. Yeah, he just ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Figure this out. I'm going to go do this thing on the government's dime. Thank you. (laughs) His being on another continent may have actually contributed to a lessening of tensions that enabled the resolution of that strike. Mm -hmm. And it didn't end with the terms that Walt would have wanted. Yeah. And those negotiations might have gone a lot better. Or like at least Roy or whoever was being the representative in the room just had to let go. Yeah. (laughs) And who knows what Walt would have done if he was in the same room. So the guy whose idea really this was, who was the government representative that was acting on all of this, was Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, Right. He was appointed coordinator of inter-American affairs, and he saw Hollywood as an opportunity for connection and goodwill. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, Hollywood has had a really terrible relationship with Latin America up to this point, and it's way that it's shown the people and used a ton of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And so it would have been a welcome change to have this positive light shown on Latin America for people on both sides of our borders between North and South America. Yeah. Also, Latin American music was gaining popularity in the U.S., so pop culture felt like the way to access these people and their support and turn it over for the government. Mm -hmm. So Hollywood was the next logical step. And it bears mentioning that Rockefeller's intentions or motivations weren't entirely out of goodwill, but the Rockefeller family also had oil connections in Venezuela that they Mm. were very excited to uh, maintain access to and continue profiting from. Yeah, better trade relations, easier access to oil and money. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, as Rachel mentioned... Disney and about 20 composers, artists, technicians, etc. traveled to Latin America calling themselves El Grupo. Sure. <laughs> These Americans show up. Apparently it was like a bellhop who like was collecting the group or something and he yelled out like Disney, El Grupo de Disney. And then they just took that and were like, El Grupo, that's us. We're so original. <laughs> right. And we're so, we're so Latin now. <laughs> Anywho. So as we mentioned, Saludos Amigos includes both live action, documentary style sequences and animation. It was meant to educate Americans on the cultures of Latin America and shown the cities as fashionable, modern, and worth visiting which, as Rachel mentioned earlier, surprised a lot of Americans because it's not the view that they had seen previously. And yeah. they mostly associated modern cities with the U.S. and Europe. Yeah. So the films did succeed at changing those impressions and giving people a more positive impression from like a tourism view sure. of Latin America. Film historian Alfred Charles Richard Jr. said that Saludos Amigos 
did more to cement a community of interest between peoples of the Americas in a few months than the State Department had in 50 years. Wow. Yeah. Which is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, and pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to the influence that Disney films had secured in American culture up to this point, right? If their film could be that persuasive. Yeah, definitely. The characters were super well-known and Donald Duck had actually surpassed Mickey Mouse as the most popular character, Mm. which is why he was chosen because he had the most weight with the Latin American community. I was wondering why Mickey didn't, didn't make any appearances. Interesting. Yeah. I was reading up a little bit on the like history of Donald and Goofy up to this point because yeah. I was like, where did they come from? And they were created to be part of their own shorts mm-hmm. and then to join Mickey as like the trio that we know so well now. But Mickey was being was like too harsh. So they uh, used Donald as his foil so that Donald could have all of the like negative yeah. attributes but the funny ones right. while Mickey had to appeal to children and be sweet and kind and like the moral um, compass of the cartoons mm-hmm. and the comedy left a lot of that to Donald. And that's how he got more popular, even though he was like angry, grumpy duck man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with tourism increasing because of these films, that was actually really important, particularly to Brazil. Um, And I'll talk a little bit more about this later. But that was part of what the Brazilian government and dictatorship wanted for Brazil because they wanted to increase their like global standing and Mm. also, you know, boost the economy and make people believe that Brazil was this shining, beautiful, wonderful place, view of beautiful people and fashion and modernity, mm-hmm. which it hadn't been getting that press. So Disney became this perfect avenue to create that message because it went along with exactly what the Goodwill Tour wanted and it increased the tourism and gave them exactly what they were looking for. Hey. Right. Which is good because it did get them on the side of the Allies versus the Axis, but Brazil had a lot of other problems given that it was in a dictatorship. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so a Disney movie could only achieve so much. Mm -hmm. So Saludos Amigos ended up repaying its loans. There's a quote from Walt from a CBC interview where he says, It was one of those things that they thought Disney needed a subsidy, but fortunately that little thing went out and it did a heck of a business and the United States government didn't have to put up one nickel. Okay. So Walt was pretty excited and like it did do, it did as well as it was supposed to and a little bit better in Latin America, which was enough to keep like the doors open to inspire a second film to show that this was successful. Great. Three Caballeros would come out two years after Saludos Amigos and kind of a similar history there. Obviously, I want to briefly touch on what happens in those two years in between. Yeah. So Disney had started losing artists to the war effort, Mm. either voluntarily or because of the draft. Yeah. And while Saludos Amigos kept them afloat, there was a little market for films now in the U.S., now that World War II had been going on for several years. Then, of course, on December 8th, 1941, which was the day after Pearl Harbor, Mm -hmm. the Disney studio was essentially converted into a propaganda machine for the U.S. government's war effort. Hmm. 
Disney started making war training films and some cartoon shorts, which were sponsored by the U.S. government. And they put out the war propaganda film Victory Through Air Power, which was a project that Walt personally financed because he thought it was so important. Oh, wow. I was wondering how willingly Walt and the Disney company engaged in this propaganda. And it sounds like wholeheartedly voluntarily they wanted to be doing this and helping their country with the war from what i've seen i think that is what disney would definitely want you to believe (laughs) also probably what they did start to think especially once like they were doing things successfully with the help of the u.s government Mm -hmm. i do not have any proof of this, but I can't imagine that Walt was happy to see the government in like his animation studios mm. and his beautiful Burbank studio. From the things that I have so far learned, I believe that he would not have been happy initially and it would have 100% been a monetary decision, probably spurred by Roy. And then they there would have been patriotism to it. Obviously, the fight against the Allies was very uh, Axis. Huh was very important (laughs) and Walt was really behind the war effort. Mm -hmm. He probably just would have preferred not to have it take over his whole studio if he hadn't needed the money. I see. And then once these things did well and he wanted to make his own movies, like Victory Through Air Power was like his idea, his way to contribute. Mm. Continuing to have that creative control probably also made things a lot easier. Yeah, that makes sense. So... Then artists weren't really able to be creative, though, in the same ways. Right. They needed to create these things that the U.S. government had approved and was paying for. So from a, like, studio sense of the artists, Roy Disney called this time the lost years Mm. because they were churning out these films that weren't really entirely their idea just to pay back the government. Right. I saw one particular researcher who thought, the Three Caballeros' craziness was part of this like buildup of creative energy and finally getting to animate these lengthy scenes and create a more consistent movie that they just kind of like went all out with it, yep. creating that like psychedelic scene because they finally had some freedom. Yeah, you could definitely describe parts of the Three Caballeros as bursting with unbridled creativity (laughs) yes i think the animators needed something (laughs) (laughs) okay well i guess i'm glad three caballeros served that role for them yeah (laughs) but in general like these productions were shorter were cheaper had really simplistic backgrounds which is actually the like first thing that jumped out to me when i started three caballeros was Mm. the like one of the opening shots is that that big box of presents yeah. in the middle of just like a purple reddish room. Mm-hmm. It's just you can tell it's two dimensions because they put a line and made the floor and yep. like that's <laughs> it or three dimensions, I suppose. But yeah, it was very, very simple. And like I think the Bahia scene is mm-hmm. also pretty indicative of how simple the backgrounds were and the animation was supposed to be to try to keep this cheap and really focus on making a profit yeah just worth noting again that the three caballeros was the first hybrid feature length film so that was a big 
deal at the time. Yeah. Um, the first time to combine these technologies successfully and actually make it look like the animations are interacting with real people, which is pretty cool. And that was actually a money-saving tactic as well, right? Because mm-hmm. then there was less to animate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I also read that, so they animated the background and Donald and Jose, and then they shot the live action actors on top of the animated background. So that's why the background sometimes looks a little like blurry Hmm. because it's been filmed twice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I don't know like quite how that is done. Yeah. But I thought that was pretty neat that that was why that was created and also the mechanic that they had to how they had to do that at the time. Yeah. So normally I would give you like the domestic gross and budgets and whatnot. But because the U.S. government was so involved, I cannot, I have not been able to reliably find that information for either film. Wow. There are like guesses, but I saw like several different numbers for each film. So I don't really think it's worth pretending I know which one is correct. (laughs) Yeah. But note that Saludos Amigos like made a profit thanks to Latin America. Three Caballeros I don't I didn't see any language that even went that far to be specific. Wow. It did fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> it didn't flop, but I have no idea how it if it genuinely fully made back its money or if it was like just barely there or if it made a profit. I don't know. Yeah. And you mentioned how the animators were sort of going all out with Three Caballeros. Is that what resulted in the extra length to that film? Or was there more to it than that? As far as I saw, I think it was because they were trying to make it a continuous narrative. Okay. They thought because it had a narrative, it would therefore function as a regular feature film, mm-hmm. even though it still had this like educational aim. It didn't have the same educational documentary features as Saludos Amigos. Right. So I think they thought it could therefore be longer like their previous feature animated films. Okay. What was the impact of these films then? They did pretty well in Latin America. People were happy to see their countries displayed in a positive fashion, Mm -hmm. especially considering the way that they had been portrayed previously. Yeah. There was general like dislike of... Donald chasing after human, like, flesh women as, like, an animated (laughs) duck. But that seemed to bother, like, U.S. critics more than Latin American critics from what I saw. Mostly the idea that, like, Americans were seeing major cities as wonderful tourist destinations and beautiful places worth visiting and held in a high regard was really important to these people. Mm Mm-hmm. There was definitely anger because we're only shown those fancy modern cities and not the other problems that are pervasive in some of these countries. And they intentionally ignore both like poorer communities where like Rio is just on the other side of the mountains from much poorer communities that we don't see anything of. Sure. And then also like race divides are very clear in this film which we'll talk about as well so people were upset about that it's definitely a more glamorized or romanticized portrayal Mm -hmm. of these countries yes which was the whole purpose and it did succeed on that note 
this I love this one quote that I really like from Nelson, which says, In Mexico, Walt Disney was hailed as one of the greatest creators in the motion picture world, mm. and that he cultivated a world of friendship and understanding to the people of all countries. A Brazilian newspaper, Anote, went even further, calling it the best thing Disney has made so far <laughs> about the Three Caballeros. Wow. So, like, critical reception was building, trying to build that same approval so that people would continue to believe these things about their countries and come visit, give them money, give them respect. Hmm, interesting. Um, the U.S. was like, meh. They're fine. <laughs> um, definitely had a more positive view of these Latin American cities to go visit them. Yeah. But as like the films, eh, right? they don't really care very much. <laughs> well, and the impact on tourism at this time is interesting to think about because obviously the war would have curbed travel to international destinations significantly mm -hmm. but i suppose if americans were gonna travel somewhere just for leisure on a vacation their really only option would be latin america at this point exactly yeah those were some of the only places they were like allowed to get to right so it was huge yeah, yeah. the timing was just right for i mean very intentional reasons yeah so yeah, in general, both films helped to keep the studio doors open for Disney, but they also gave hints of like new directions the studio might take in the future. Mm. So there's the one side of like documentary films because of the success-ish of Saludos Amigos. Mm -hmm. So there would be more in that style, more educational stuff, a lot of like wildlife films, mm -hmm. and then more hybrid live action films with a touch of animation because of Three Caballeros. Hmm. Like, as Rachel mentioned, Mary Poppins. Yeah. So did pave the way for a lot of animation and innovation that was going to come in the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Hmm. We did manage to pull out some themes, mostly pertaining to the way that Latin America is portrayed. And we've hinted at many of those thus far. But one of the first ones we wanted to talk about is the idea of racism and whitewashing of countries that had histories of colonization and slavery. Mm -hmm. And I think it is helpful to just have the briefest of overviews for the sake of context with regard to Latin American history and Central American history as a... As regions of the world so what do we even mean when we refer to latin america that is a product of colonization by europeans who quote unquote discovered the new world in the 1500s and so countries such as spain france portugal all colonized this region and a quote that I found from Minster writing in 2020 said that, quote, a look at the infancy of modern Latin America is necessary to truly comprehend the region today. And I imagine that would be true in 1940s as well. 
the destruction of whole cultures in every sense left the majority of the population lost and struggling to find their identities, a struggle which continues to this day. The power structures put in place by the Spanish and Portuguese still exist, end Mm -hmm. quote. So the Latin America that is being portrayed in Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros is very much the product of colonialism. So it's just important to keep that context in mind. Mm -hmm. And we see flashes of Western culture throughout these films, some in just little ways, but but pretty persistent ways. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and again, as we mentioned with Goofy, the like using a Western lens and a American, a North American, a United States lens to access these cultures as if you couldn't just learn about the culture as is and be able to understand it and relate to it. You needed, you needed a way in. Right. Which is silly, but (laughs) maybe it made sense for the American audience at that time in a way that you would hope it wouldn't have to be. Yeah. And obviously these countries also have a complicated relationship with slavery that, especially in Brazil, that is very similar to the U.S.'s own horrific history. So the erasure of Black people in these films and people of African descent is very clear when there are characters that have been traditionally played by like Afro-Brazilian women are instead being played by light-skinned women who are not of African descent. Right. So the most notable one there is the role of the Baina, which is in the Bahia segment played by Aurora Miranda, who is the little sister of Carmen Miranda, hmm. who was very popular in the U.S. at the time and well-known and the like point of access to Latin America. So getting her little sister was a way to make that access easier. Hmm. But the Bahina, who she plays, is a term which literally means a woman from the northeastern state of Bahia, but more specifically refers to Afro-Brazilian women who since colonial times have sold food on the streets of Salvador in Bahia. So it's usually a Afro-Brazilian woman and it's being portrayed by this light-skinned woman to make it more accessible and to ignore this population of people that both the Brazilian government doesn't want to show because they don't want it to put off tourists Mm. and the U.S. government doesn't want to show because they don't want it to put off tourists. Right, Yeah, because showing someone with darker skin or someone more identifiably as being of African descent would, of course, just bring up all of the racial issues and tension that were so consistently part of American culture because of slavery and the legacy of slavery. And when we talked about Dumbo, we mentioned all the Jim Crow laws that were still very much a part of daily life for people in the United States at this time. Mm-hmm. And additionally, like so much of Three Caballeros especially is romanticizing this land and mm. sexualizing it. And the standard of beauty is light-skinned women. Right. So to keep that image up to make it what is supposed to be beautiful to this white American audience is to have a light-skinned Latin American woman rather than a woman of African descent, which would be accurate, but not as beautiful. 
Yes. Which horrible things to think. <laughs> yes. And that actually seems like a natural segue into another theme that we wanted to discuss, which is the hypersexualization of mm -hmm. Latina women and Latin America. Yeah. Something interesting that I saw in a couple articles I read were that not only do we see multiple scenes where the characters in the film are chasing after female figures, Donald's wolfishness is mm -hmm. a theme throughout, but the entire idea of the film itself could sort of be seen as a pursuit by the United States as an aggressive man after the more feminine Latin America. Mm -hmm. So continuing that colonial mindset, even like subversively and unintentionally, but it's so built into the way that we view Latin America that of course it's going to be an object to be consumed rather than a culture to be respected and uplifted as is. Well said. And also like, a million cultures like we're we're speaking in a lot of generalities about latin america and about south america and that's just inaccurate there are so many more cultures there than we could possibly speak on so again like the way the films take things down to like three countries or a couple <laughs> regions and right. trying to show this little bit of an entire continent is ridiculous and diminutive to begin with Yes, and many of those cultures that we're not seeing or able to speak to more specifically are all of the indigenous cultures of this region, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. we see vaguely alluded to in Saludos Amigos when Donald visits Lake Titicaca. Mm -hmm. They mention that the people who live around Lake Titicaca are the descendants of the ancient Incan people, which mm -hmm. is... A presentation of them that is sort of exoticizing mm -hmm. <laughs> and then problematic yep. in its own way but that is really the only hint of indigeneity that we see represented anywhere in either of these films mm -hmm. and the narrator in both films at one time calls in Saludos Amigos it's about music and about in uh, Three Caballeros it's about the birds but calls them strange and exotic yes and just like the the repetition of that line that it still seems like an appropriate way to describe these things and exotic to who, like, you know that Latin America is part of your audience and you're saying, I mean, I like the point of accessibility of Donald Duck traveling to these places is a representation of North America's relationship and like entrance into it. It stands in for the American viewer. But, like, the whole point was to also, like, appeal to these people who want to see your films and give you money and trade and support your political and military agenda. Yeah. And you're going to call them strange and exotic. Yeah. Telote had an interesting quote about this othering that we're talking about. They write, quote, the subjects of the first two shorts in The Three Caballeros while done similarly to previous Disney creations, seem pointedly other, almost unbelievably different. A penguin who wants to be warm and a donkey with wings, as if mm -hmm. to suggest Latin America's exotic nature, end quote. Mm -hmm. So there's this really 
fascinating tension between this exoticization of Latin America while still trying to draw similarities between the United States and Latin America yes in order to make it accessible so that was the it was really fascinating to see that interplay take place over the course of these films because it's kind of like get your story straight are these exotic Mm -hmm. foreign lands or are they just like us what are you trying to say right I think slightly you're getting more of the similarities in Three Caballeros and the disparities in Saludos Amigos Mm -hmm. because it's educational and you're supposed to be learning about this place rather than in Three Caballeros trying to show how they're just like us and they're just as beautiful and like romantic as we are or want ourselves to be. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the othering is very obvious in a lot of ways. So we're jumping around through our themes a lot, but yeah. I want to touch on that, like the way that they're portrayed as similar, particularly with the end of Saludos Amigos in Rio with the similarities between Donald and Jose yeah, and that they're they're both birds like they're all birds we're all birds together (laughs) (laughs) the three caballeros we're all in this together so Donald is presented as like the Hollywood star Mm -hmm. coming down to Brazil and Jose at first is very like sophisticated he can speak in two languages Mm -hmm. and which is very impressive and Donald is shown like flipping through a like Portuguese to English dictionary trying to keep up and Jose presents his business card which is again like very sophisticated and and, like Donald doesn't like his one is stupid it's kind of funny Um, (laughs) but then when he realizes like who Donald is there's this moment of like oh the amazing movie star like I love your your act Um, and Jose even like mimes some of what Donald does so it puts them sort of on this even footing to start And, like, obviously the parallels of, like, they're both birds trying to, the birds of their countries that represent their countries. Yeah. I don't, like, a sailor duck, I guess, for the military. (laughs) (laughs) Then they move into town, and Jose is able to navigate this sophisticated modern world, and Donald is completely lost. And that's supposed to amplify the, like, Brazilian modernity and how fashionable it is and Mm. the sophistication by showing that Jose is has more um, like social clout than the American Donald, mm. so I think it's a very clever way to like put down the Americans and raise up the Brazilians through a character who we constantly laugh at anyway. So it doesn't hurt us that bad because mm. he's kind of silly no matter what and angry. I think it was really smart and well done by Disney for like their aims in this whole program. Yeah. It's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, that really is fascinating. (laughs) So then like the ethnocentrism of these films, which is like understanding your own culture as uh, hegemonic or dominant and like the standard with which other things are compared. Yes. So the American uh, culture is supposed to be the standard And it turns out that the Latin American communities are equal and we're learning that it doesn't have to be dominant in the same way and that makes it more accessible. But I thought it was really interesting, particularly in uh, Saludos Amigos, this scholar Chu says, 
The Latin Americans in the Good Neighbor films are without exception depicted as happy, friendly, and frequently childlike. Disney's gaze at the indigenous other is clearly an idealized and exoticizing one, which aims less to provide a faithful representation of a historical reality than to make it attractive and as such to render it less threatening with, by which diversity becomes positive. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the less threatening is just so, like, there's so much weight behind the idea that Latin America would be threatening to, yeah. like, any U.S. entrant, but also right. <laughs> happy, friendly, cute, like, it's going to be fine. Come visit us. We're sweet and nice and childlike. Right. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, a very problematic portrayal, for sure. A very limited view and a very skewed one. Mm-hmm. But also serves to counterbalance the similarly limited view that Americans would have had up to this point that was totally based in really negative stereotypes. So yes. they're getting they're getting a more positive perspective, but it's it is just as stereotypical as the negative view it's trying to supplant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said earlier, like which one which one is it? Are they childlike or all they are they sophisticated? And then of course it's the childlike is the indigenous side, and the sophisticated is the modern like european-esque city side right and continuing to take away any of the threats of either of those where like the city could be unsafe no it's sophisticated (laughs) the indigenous people could be unsafe no they're childlike and sweet but those don't come together it's kept as that dichotomy that these are separate yeah and could not contribute to like how the culture has grown or the country has changed yeah (laughs) (sighs) well let's talk about the sexualization of Latin America and Latin American women. Because yes. I think this is the most off-putting point of Three Caballeros for me, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Particularly that scene in Acapulco. Oh, my That's gosh. just, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they come flying in on their serape. And the three caballeros are like ogling at these women on a beach, which is also clearly a soundstage. <laughs> yes, I, I read that it was a, a parking lot at the Burbank studio. <laughs> <laughs> you can totally tell like by the lighting. It's ugh, so silly. Uh, and they're like, I was just imagining how weird it must be for these like actresses to like run around in this parking lot covered in sand pretending there's this animated duck chasing after them like (laughs) laughing and smiling they all have the biggest smiles on the whole time to show that this is totally okay and like hilarious yeah and it's also worth noting that because this was filmed in Burbank these are all American light-skinned actresses so once again we're uh yeah, we're not seeing the realistic representation of females in Latin America. Yeah, absolutely. So in this scene, after, like, so they're ogling and Donald is, like, the worst of them. He is unstoppable. Yeah, his, he's, like, like, having to be restrained by Jose and Panchita. Yeah, exactly. But before he gets off the Serape, 
there's a part where they start dive bombing the women. Yeah. And like you get those like airplane noises and then they hold out their hands as like guns. Yeah. And you hear the, the like bullets, right. uh, the like that um, like sound effect and the women like fall to the ground as though they've been shot <laughs> and then they like look up and laugh and I'm it's like very strange why this what how is this flirting <laughs> how is this flirting and how would this not be disturbing to audiences who are in the middle of world war two right Oh, yeah. Seems misguided at best. Yes. Okay. So I, in doing my research, found this poster from, that was one of the originals that advertised the film. I know exactly the one you're talking about. Great. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to read the whole thing as much as it's going to pain me because this is necessary. So it's a speech bubble above Donald and Donald is saying, quote, Imagine me and all my pals singing, dancing, romancing in the same scenes with real, live, three-dimensional, and what dimensions, luscious Latin (laughs) beauties like Aurora Miranda, Dora Luce, Carmen Molina. We're twice as torrid as a hot foot on the equator and even more fun. Just change the name, girls, from Donald Duck to Donald L. Woof, CCC, and (laughs) woo-woo. I assume that last one is supposed to be like a howl, but I'm not going to howl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't ask you to. Yeah. Who is this movie for? Great question. <laughs> this movie is so bizarre in how hypersexual it is. Mm-hmm. Telote actually comments to that effect saying that the three caballeros specifically, quote, marks a point recognized by reviewers of the era at which Disney animation becomes overtly sexualized by depicting Mm. Donald Duck as a possible suitor for real-life women in a way that probably discomfited some expecting the usual Disney family experience. End quote. I am discomfited. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ditto. Yeah, it was like that poster had the same feel that like a girly show would have in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, I guess they were targeting potential tourists. Like that is the point. Yeah. Trying to get people to visit and spend money and then therefore these countries would like the U.S. better. But like, you know that children are part of your like biggest fan group right yeah yeah i wish it were like i mean i guess i wish it weren't animated <laughs> like <laughs> just yeah. like take out that child's like you know direction because that's not who you are targeting this film at right yep mm. yeah it's tough and then throughout like any chance they can get at calling like a city like the city of moonlights or romance like it happens in with mexico city and as they travel over mexico and the love songs that repeat every time they travel or when there's the singing lady in the flower or in the stars like it's all about love and that seems to be honestly the biggest like message of the film is like 
you you're gonna get laid in Latin America. Yeah, so promoting sex tourism. Mm-hmm. That's never been damaging to uh, women and queer folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cool. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Does this segue into our last theme that we wanted to talk about? Could we make it segue into Disney's attempts at authenticity? <laughs> We're currently describing one way in which he missed the mark horrifically mm-hmm. and yeah. yet and he yet, tried <laughs> he, there was some effort there so in a master's thesis nelson oh you've mentioned nelson a couple times nelson wrote quote while many critics have decried disney's involvement in latin america as being an apparatus of cultural imperialism and economic exploitation agreed Mm -hmm. they almost universally give him credit for his pursuit of cultural authenticity within the film end quote yep and he pursues that through using uh music that is of the country that they are representing which good good choices they also tried to employ at least as like the major characters, actors and singers who are from those countries speak those languages natively. Right. Again, good. It does not necessarily excuse like the white women on the beach from the Burbank studio, (laughs) but we're getting there. One of the most obvious is the choice of, uh, from Saludos Amigos originally, of Jose Oliveira to voice Jose Carioca. And Nelson has a quote about that choice. Not only is his accent authentic, he speaks Portuguese, a far cry from the other films of the period where characters only spoke English or in which Brazil was cast as a Spanish-speaking nation, Mm. which is just a ridiculous thing that did happen. Yeah. Sorry, that was outside of quotes. Quotes continuing. (laughs) (laughs) So Walls Jose Carioca originates from the strokes of a paintbrush located from without the frame, representative of Jose's creation from the outside, the U.S. He is immediately inserted within a Brazil that appears to have a similar origin. Hmm. So this is the flip side of that accessibility through a North American United States lens is taking that lens, but having these characters or these actors and actresses who are authentically from that country to Mm -hmm. balance it out so that you are getting both perspectives evenly, supposedly. Yeah. Okay. So he tried. Yeah. Which is pretty big, I think. I mean, I was part of the point. I'm sure there were a lot of conversations about how Hollywood was doing this horribly and Nelson Rockefeller wanting to change that and make sure the light was positive. But... It doesn't seem like it's something that most people would have thought about at the time. So small props for choosing these actors. Yeah. Small. Small props. Small. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to talk about symbolism a little bit. Okay. Because that article that we're mentioning by Nelson, or master's thesis actually, is really, really long. (laughs) It is a thesis. (laughs) 
It's a very long thesis. It's, I mean, it's a normal thesis. It's very long for me to read normally now in my life, but it was also super interesting and I got really into it and found it all fascinating and spent a long time trying to put these ideas together. The main purpose was of the thesis was to talk about how Jose Carioca operates as a symbol and monument in the films. But the parallel that I found really fascinating was that there was like a actual government memo about creating symbols, particularly from cartoon characters that would work in the same way that like Uncle Sam works in the US. And I thought that that was just so smart in like a horrible way. (laughs) So in a lot of ways, yeah, because it's this like these complex ideas are all contained within Uncle Sam of, like, nationalism, the military. Like, there's so much happening, and yet you see Uncle Sam, and it means something to you immediately. And it used to be, you know, a huge point of pride and trying to turn Jose Carioca into that same type of character is just so fascinating to me. Especially since he originated from a United States-produced film mm-hmm. yeah so they're determining what the monument for brazil gets to be mm-hmm. so as we mentioned earlier donald and jose are meant to be like mirrors of each other yet as like the film progresses small details highlight the differences and jose becomes more sophisticated and he's more socially literate and he stands in as this piece of pride for the for Brazil for Rio and I think he worked pretty effectively but it's really interesting to note that Jose wasn't as interesting to American audiences as he was to Latin American audiences so since Three Caballeros didn't like blow anyone out of the water in America Mm -hmm. a couple years later Disney gave the rights to Jose to uh, Editora Abril which is a publisher in Brazil huh so that they could take the character back and reshape it to make Jose more authentic. So they like changed the way he looked a little bit about like his backstory so that they could use this character as like a symbol for Brazil. So it lived on with the like best version potentially of this character in the idea of creating a symbol for Brazil rather than it being fully taken over by the US forever. And Disney never lets anything go. No. So it's fascinating that they gave up Jose and he actually got to have a better life, quote unquote, as <laughs> a cartoon monument. Yeah. So he sort of became the Mickey Mouse equivalent in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's pretty great, actually. Like one positive thing that they got to take control back of this character that was supposed to represent their culture. Yeah. Totally. That felt like an errands extra yeah it might have been <laughs> what else you got you got some more everyone should note that the three caballeros are like the three allies that they're trying to be together as like united ally powers just like notice that way that they're using them as symbols for the countries that they then wanted to be like militarily united to fight against the axis yeah so those three powers being the United States, Brazil, represented by Jose, and then Mm -hmm. Mexico, specifically Mm -hmm. represented by Panchito. 
Exactly. Yeah. The song does say that they're, you know, all for one, one for all, unless there's a woman involved. So I'm wondering how that metaphor translates to the idea of allied powers, politically speaking. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. Just checking. (laughs) So the three caballeros, the like opening two lines are the three caballeros, three gay caballeros. Yeah. And like the amount of like homoeroticism (laughs) that's covered up by hypersexualization in these films is just breathtaking. Mm, Fascinating. (laughs) Yes. That's a really good point. Other Aaron's extras. The Bahia segment was Disney's first hybrid format in general since they had an attempt at Alice in Wonderland in 1923, which they did make, but it didn't apparently really do anything. No, very few people saw it. And then they ended up making a fully animated version later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to get there pretty soon. That's not too far down the road. No, it's really not. And then... Other interesting, mostly like cultural note, there was a Chilean cartoonist named René Rios Botege. He was insulted by the Chilean plane Pedro segment. Yeah. And the fact that Pedro is considered like useless and doesn't really represent the country. And that's also all they got out of this movie. Right. Is this silly plane that doesn't have much to do with anything else in the film. Botage thought it was a slight to Chileans, so he created Condorito, who's one of Latin America's most famous cartoon characters and rivaled the popularity of Disney's characters in Latin America for a really long time. So great job. Yeah, good on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the ability to actually like create change and rival Disney is pretty awesome. We have two films that we need to assign grades to. Yes. I suggest we assign them separately because I do think the films are quite different and I feel very differently about them. Okay, yes. That makes sense. Especially the modern perspective. Yes, yeah. So, Saludos Amigos was first. So, Mm -hmm. in 1942-1943, what grade would we give it? What grade... So coming from my own perspective, like I'm not nearly as upset with Saludos Amigos as I am with Three Caballeros. It's not a great representation of South America. It has its problems, but I did learn some things. I think especially the gaucho scenes Hmm. do seem to show some respect and interest and a preservation of culture that I found interesting Mm -hmm. so bringing that to 1940 perspective of latin america hoping that obviously like these these films were a boon to the places that they represented especially the larger cities and it did make more of a profit in latin america than it did in the u.s Mm -hmm. i would probably give it a b sure because it just kind of existed in the u.s and it was fine And for the flaws it has in its portrayal of South America, it also is trying to do some good things. So Mm -hmm. I think that balanced out in the reflection of like the theater goers and the money it made. So B. I was actually thinking a B, maybe a B minus for 
the 2020 grade as well. Hmm. It's short. <laughs> <laughs> A big, big value to Rachel. Big plus. So a quick, easy watch. Overall, relatively enjoyable. And I do think that the positive intentions that Disney had in terms of showcasing some of the unique and wonderful aspects of some Latin American cultures shine through more than the problematic bits distract. So Hmm. a B. All right. That's a higher rating than some of the films we've seen by Disney previously. (laughs) Yes, it is. That said, not going to give Three Caballeros a very favorable rating. Mm -mm. Especially in 2020, but what about in 1944 or 45? I think there's probably more of a dichotomy in the views of this film, I would expect, in South America mm-hmm. that I did not get a full picture of in my research because it was mostly American researchers that I was reading things from. I think probably, like, Brazil as a whole was pretty happy about it mm-hmm. and, like, probably the large cities in Brazil and Mexico, but... I bet they were people who did not feel well represented by this film, saw that their own erasure from their countries. There's a lot of secrecy, but I don't think it did well (laughs) in the U.S. It was just kind of existed. Yeah. So I'd probably drop that one down to a C. Yeah. Yeah. This one's going to get an F from me. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel's first F. My first F. Let's just say if a student submitted this film to me, I would make them redo it. (laughs) At a minimum, I hope. I hope you'd have a lot more questions for them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, are you okay? (laughs) Right. Can we talk? Can we unpack some of this? (laughs) Uh, Wow, an F. Uh, We should, like, somehow mark this occasion. I do think... Um, I'm going to like start compiling our grades in a way that we can like reflect on them and maybe we'll use that. Oh, did you already do it? I already did it. You already did it. There's a spreadsheet <laughs> in the Google Drive. Uh, Rachel does things and then I find out <laughs> later because she's super smart and I didn't look. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I could also be better at communicating. <laughs> Well, now we have an awesome spreadsheet of our grades so we can reflect and maybe do something with them in the future. That would be fun. Yeah. Thanks to our friend Colin, who commented on Twitter that he would like to see some sort of some sort of ranking system. Yes. Coming up next chronologically would be Song of the South. (laughs) One of the most infamous Disney films. For good reason. For good reason. I was going to say unfortunately, but really, fortunately, there's no current way to access Song of the South. It's Mm -hmm. not on Disney Plus, and that's because of how problematic it is. So we don't have a way to watch it. We're not going to talk about it. Also, 
Karina Longworth did an exceptional review discussion analysis of Song of the South on her podcast, You Must Remember This. She did an entire six-part series just on that film. So if you're interested in it and want to learn more, you should definitely check that out. You Must Remember This. It's fantastic. By Karina Longworth. So there are several other films that would then come along three of the package films that Mm -hmm. we're discussing make my music in 1946 fun and fancy free in 1947 and melody time in 1948 and these are all anthologies sort of in a similar style to saludos amigos and three caballeros there's some hybrid uh, animation live action in these as well We've decided that we're not going to talk about them, at least Mm -hmm. for now. We might come back one day. Yeah, but for now, we just uh, don't want to. (laughs) In like an essential way. Yeah. Yeah. And neither of us have actually seen these, or if we have, we don't remember them well. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, nothing personal against these films, but we're just sort of excited to get to some of the more well-known full-length feature films that have Mm -hmm. that overarching narrative uh, like we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I've seen Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros now and can talk about them. They weren't that fun to watch. (laughs) And from an entertainment standpoint, I don't expect that the next three will make us really happy. And part of this podcast is that it makes us happy. (laughs) So we're going to move along and skip those for now. But maybe we'll come back to them. But for now, we're going to leave them and move on. We are actually going to come at you with a bonus episode. Bonus episode. (laughs) And that will be coming out in one week. Woo! That will be us talking about the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yay! Let us know what you think about Saludos Amigos, the Three Caballeros. And you can do that by emailing us at hellodeconstructingdisney at gmail.com. Or you can be cool like Colin and follow us on Twitter, tweet at us on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast. Getting some reviews would be awesome on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you find it. And what's our Twitter handle if they wanted to do that? Oh, they need that. Everyone (laughs) doesn't have it memorized. Surprising. You can follow us at Decon Disney. And uh, until then, TTFN. Ta-ta for now. (laughs) 